Hello there, everybody. It's Movie Geeks United. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight, we'll be discussing The Last Jedi, of course. And we'll also be talking about Golden Globe nominations that were just announced last week. Man, Golden Globe nominations announced last Monday, uh, which would have been the 11th. The ceremony is January 7th or 9th or something. Um... So I mean, and then and then after that, we'll have the Oscar nominations. It's uh, full steam ahead, and it looks like it looks like the narrative's pretty much set, and in terms of favorites for nominations and that sort of thing. What surprise? Will there be surprises? Will Will any Oscar nomination shock? Do you think? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh. Yeah, surprise nominations are always are always tough. But you know, I mean, I always wish that people when they're making their nominations would would include more surprises, but like really kind yeah. of well thought out surprises. Like for instance, of course we had the SAG nominations, uh, and uh, as well, and uh, one of the I guess the surprises there wasn't a surprise to me, but uh, for best actress. Uh, Judy Dench for uh, Victoria and Abdul uh, was nominated there, and to me that wasn't a surprise at all. And in fact, I could easily see her getting into the Oscar and Oscar race, and probably knocking somebody like uh, Margot Robbie out of it, or uh, or even Meryl Streep, because um, I think I think Ronan and and uh, McDormand and uh, Hawkins are pretty. It in stone. So, but uh, yeah, so that's the kind of well thought out kind of uh, surprise that I would expect. In Best Picture, yeah. I don't see I don't see a surprise. I mean, the the thing is, they're all pulled from the same uh, voting base, like <laughs> like all of these uh, award well, shows. Certainly, so, uh, certainly, the SAG is. I mean, not the Golden Globes, which is you know, of course the. 90 or 100 or so, right. uh, you know, foreign press people, so they're kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, so, but, yeah, generally you're right. The, you know, the Guild Awards, when they start coming around and everything, yes. Do you feel the fever, Jerry, the awards season fever? Well, I have, I, have a, I, have a, I have a question for you guys regarding the SAG Awards. What did Daniel Day do, us, do wrong? <laughs> I don't think the movie is 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 well loved. Is is uh, well, you know. I mean, I think people are just generally having problems with digesting all of Paul Thomas Anderson's work these days. Even Paul Thomas Anderson fans are having difficulties. It seems. But they all work better on second viewings. The later films, you know, they all get better and better. I don't see what the. But they've I mean, only seen it once. If they're they're know, lucky to have seen it. That's a problem. That's a but, problem, though. I mean, and the, the other conclusion. The other problem is that he waits too late for his movies. He's he's That's he, true. he should really be he's the kind of guy who needs to get into a, another if he wants awards at least. He needs to get into another time frame where he's not constantly pushing himself up to, you know, Christmas or whatever and not letting anybody see the movie until Christmas or whatever cuz that that's that's that not is enough time. Him. We can't even. We can't even. You know, like uh, we, as part of the Atlanta 
film critics circle, I, I we weren't even able to look at the movie. I mean, some of us weren't at least. So right, right, right. Okay. So yeah, it's, uh, that was the big shock to me though when I saw the nominations for the SAG that he wasn't on there because I would just think it's a given. This is this is as as far as you know right now. This is the last performance. So I mean, I but just no one wants to vote on him just on that basis. I mean, of and course, plus of we don't not. even no. and we don't even know if it was. Oh please! Last <laughs> so, yeah, because because the 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 nominees with this is all it's all about artistic merit. Uh, you know, I think it's oh, quite I'm, possible. I think it's quite possible that they release their nominees and that they're like, oh shit, we missed Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I'm sure that's true. I bet he'll be in the running for the Oscar though, and I think, and, I think, so. I think more people will see it by by that. And I bet the movie will be nominated at least for for a screenplay and for uh, art direction and costuming. Oh, I think I think those two are definitely. I would like to thank director because I just think he's a fantastic director, but he hasn't been able to get in in that in that category. I guess since what, since Blood or yes, um, okay, he didn't get it for the master. I know he didn't get it no. for Inherent Vice. Yeah, he's not. You're right. He needs to work on maybe in for the summer, maybe or late summer or something, you know? or October or something like that. Well, he did that with the remember the master though came out in September. Remember That's true. the master. It didn't, it, it didn't help that movie, so <laughs> no, I mean, he could have released that. He could have released that any time. I mean, it's a good movie actually, but but I do like that movie. It's a very challenging movie, and that's probably why it didn't um, garner the love. Well, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking thing. forward to seeing Phantom Thread. I oh, see the I trailer every 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 damn movie I the, the plays in the theater. They play the trailer for yeah. that. So yeah, at least in the theater, I like. you can you can tell like the. Uh, Oh no, you can't because they don't put films together anymore. They just beam them through satellite. You used mm-hmm. to be able to tell the taste of the projectionist, uh, or based on the trailers that you see. Like there were some, there's some true. that were mandated. The studio uh-huh. said, "Okay, you, you got to put this on." But then the extra stuff, you could tell, like, "Oh, this the projectionist is a real arty guy." <laughs> that's right, true. Right. Um, that's true. That's been well, lost. Yeah. He should have called. He should have called his movie Phantom Menace just to piss people off. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? You know that Robert Mitchum quote, the famous Robert Mitchum quote. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't please everybody. You should just, you should just stop trying. That should just be applied to all Star Wars fans at this point. I mean, it's just. <laughs> Boy, there. I have never seen uh, in a, for a Star Wars movie such a divided reaction, which actually makes me kind of want to see the movie. You know, I've, I think I've been... that makes for a better movie, actually. I think it makes for a better a better viewing experience, and I think it makes for a better movie. Um, because it reminds me, if you, if you guys will probably remember, the re- response to Empire was not universal love when that came out initially. Um, you know, let's be very honest. Let's call, I mean, well, the prequels, everyone hated them. <laughs> but Empire well, was not well-received, like, well, that... like the previous movie. Now is it you know I've been we've been having a uh, I've been having a, a Facebook argument with a guy uh and he said he said the same thing and my memory of Empire was that everybody loved it uh, I mean See, everybody I, I I don't remember anybody saying anything negative about it at all Well 
Well, I remember people though. I remember though the reviews though the reviews were actually rather mixed, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But I do remember there were people who did not like it. But it's hard to say because, but it was there was how should I say there, it was I mean not like this though obviously and not like the prequels. But there was there was some um, differing opinions. There was not you know there was not the universal love um, as the previous film. There was yeah, but you're, 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 you're wrong. This this one it's this one the critics are overwhelmingly on its side and the audience is not. That's what's the, weird. Well, the, it's weird, but it's the audience. It's the, the casual moviegoer loves it. The hardcore Star Wars fan of a certain age does not like it. And I guess we should talk about that for a little bit. Without when, when there, There'll be no spoilers here. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it. I don't um, care. I think... Well, I know you don't care. I don't. I mean, and, and I don't yeah. care either. I'm just trying to. Be I've polite. already been spoiled. I've already read the spoilers, so it's, so it doesn't matter to me. Well, yeah. I mean, my the spoiler I keep telling people, yeah, Finn is really the product of Leia and Lando uh, in between Empire and Jedi. They, they got it on. Um, no, um, no, that's the spoiler I tell people. No, um, here's the. I think I I think I see the problem with a certain, especially like the people. I think Ryan Johnson went a couple steps further than J.J. Abrams. I think he made a movie specifically for the Star Wars fan who didn't like the prequel trilogy. I really do believe that, um, just in the mannerisms of the... And the reason I say that is because Luke's arc, Luke's whole mentality is he's come to hate the Jedi. He has obviously the same knowledge we have. When you watch the I don't know if it was Lucas's intent or not, but you really walk away at the end of that trilogy, even the end of the first film. What was so great about these people? They they take kids away from their parents. They're very arrogant. They're very you know they're all these things that we would associate with villains. They're not particularly nice and they're not particularly bright or wise for that matter. You know you really wonder what is so great about these people. Luke came to the same conclusion. It turns out after thirty years. Um, <laughs> I'm and, sure the fans don't like that. I mean, they. But but that's but it's it's called. But, I also think with young fans, and I'm talking about fans in their early 30s. I'm noticing late 20s. They're like, well, why he wasn't like that at the end of Return of the Jedi? Well, of course not. You age, people age, and usually they change. He's not going to be the same person he is at the end of Return of the Jedi. Now is he? I mean, that's what. And that's just, and that's just it because because. Uh, uh, these are these are viewers that, uh, in a big way, return to Star Wars because they they don't want to have aged that thirty years either. Yeah. Right. So 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 they want much of the same that they saw when they were fourteen. Yes. Uh, I had no problem. I mean, I had no. Let me revise that. <laughs> are you going to be like? I'd, I'd I'd lots like of, a... I, I had lots of I had lots of problems with Last Jedi, but uh, I will say that. Uh, J.J. Abrams is a um, – Ryan Johnson is a better filmmaker than J.J. Abrams. J.J. Right. Abrams is a uh, great uh, committee filmmaker, you know, he'll, right. he'll, and, and I think he delivered just what was needed for The Force Awakens. I think The Last right. Jedi has sparkles of a, an original directorial touch that J.J. Abrams can't bring to whatever he does. Right. Uh, and and that's what I appreciate most about the Last Jedi. Uh, its biggest problems are its bloat. I mean, there's mm-hmm. if you if you so many plot points in the thing, 
say it takes five steps to get to that plot point when all you needed was one or, one or two. There's a lot of red herrings in this thing that just don't belong. There's no reason for it to be two and a half hours. If it were, you know, if it were a great movie for two and a half hours, I would say, man, that movie wasn't too long. It was great, but but it just uh, it's the middle, so, isn't it? So many. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, yeah. Yeah, there's a casino planet though. I think takes it, it. It takes you out of the movie. I think I, I do. I don't mean to jump on that bandwagon, but I do feel like that could have been trimmed. Or really, it is just one big red herring. Um, that whole sequence. Hey, I want to. I want to interject here. Somebody, somebody said that they thought that the plot of the movie was stolen from Battlestar Galactica, the pilot movie well, from Battlestar Galactica, which is. Uh, you know, the there owes a lot to the Ron Moore series, the new Battlestar Galactica. Not the it's really funny, the old Battlestar Galactica was accused of being a rip off of Star Wars and this one is being accused of being a rip off of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> um it's interesting. It does have though it does have because I guess of the fleet nature of the film that they they're all they're in space and they have the rebel fleet and all that. Yes, it has that there's definitely that feel to it. But that also I think shows you the influence of Ron Moore's um, show. And what he was able to do with Donald Trump, Africa. So I don't really fault them for that. Um, I, I think it's a, I, look. There's, there are problems with the movie, but not enough that I think to take away from the overall enjoyment. If that makes sense. Um, I don't. I think it's, as far as these new movies go, I think it's, I think it might be I think the best directed of the three. But it can't hold a candle to the not much can hold a candle to the original trilogy. I'm sorry. I mean. It's just hard to do that. Well, um, and the, ori- the original trilogy, um, part of p- part of why all that bloat is 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 a betrayal of Star Wars because the original trilogy really thrived on its simplicity. There, there, mm-hmm. there were very, uh, very clearly um, identifiable characters that fit a type within this mythology. Um, right and and it worked. It worked because it, they were very simple, good and evil, very simple ideas at play. <laughs> this mm-hmm. one wants to complicate it in a way that's totally unnecessary. But I will say that um, you know the opening battle is uh, really uh, beautifully visualized. Mm-hmm. Um, there 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 are a lot of more bold colors in this. Right. Um, I like what they do with the Luke character. You know, I think a lot right. of people are pissed off by what happens at the end to Luke. Uh, and and my point is, uh, he served his arc. I mean, that, yeah. that's a, that's the full arc of the character right there. I, I, and and uh, I don't see why people just want him to stick around just for the sake of it. I'm sure he'll pop up again like Yoda. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of people are mad either. that they didn't get to see Luke really kick ass. Is that true that he doesn't? Uh, uh, sure, the true. most rousing part of it is, is the, the, the most rousing part of it is the climax with him. Yeah, I mean it is the, the huge audience pleaser. People were standing up and cheering. I thought it was yeah. badass. Yeah, I mean let me say something. So we went to see Thursday night, and then I went back to see it on Friday. And the Friday audience after work, guys. You have not been an audience this energized in a long time. They were into it, especially when he gives that wink to C three PO. You can cut this out. I mean, people are like, "Oh shit, something's going down." And you know, I think the third act of the movie, when they get to the abandoned Rebel base, is where the movie really kicks into high gear. It's like it feels like I think Jamie would agree a really it feels like a Star Wars movie. 
uh, again. It really well, it's a, four, it it's has a forty-five a minute climax. Yeah, I mean and it's just it's never ending. <laughs> I have to let you guys. I have to say this to to the viewers though, our listeners. Um, um, Ryan Johnson. Okay, if 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 um, George Lucas is a student of Kurosawa, and especially this has echoes um, of Kurosawa too, as Rashomon. But there's another film, uh, samurai film, that people need to be made aware of. And this is, uh, I, to, to prepare for this film, Ryan Johnson watched Hideo Gosha's Three Outlaw Samurai. And I would keep that in mind while watching this movie. That, that, and, it, and I do see the influence of it, especially towards the end, and also the things in the, uh, the Snook's throne room. It was definitely, definitely has that touch to it. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, too. This is more Gosha than Kurosawa, but... Um, there's that too. I, I definitely. I mean, I understand what people are saying. I understand that. But guys, I mean, no, that your fan theories, and I'm speaking to whoever they, they don't make good movies. They really don't, and it's so predictable. Do you really just want your fan theory? Your this. I mean, Lucasfilm told you what they thought of their fan theories. They got rid of the expanded universe books for crying out loud. I mean, they they just got rid of that. Um, so I, I think people want to yeah, come in. And want to, it's like the, how you know we were how. We are how we were, how a lot of us are with the prequel sequels. We wanted, oh, well, this isn't how we envisioned this. It's sort of the same thing, I guess. Um, Do you think it that the weird. endless – here's a question, though. Do you think that the endless, you know, speculation, you know, in between the, the movies, you know, you got two years of online speculation and and so forth, do you think that hurts the movies? Yeah, I do, because I think this is – it's also – it's really funny though. It's it. We have a very entitled generation, um, very much like the main villain of the of the, the movie. Um, very spoiled, entitled um, kid. Um, so, it, you know, it's um. It goes, it, I it, think it goes in some unexpected. It goes in some unexpected places, and there's some stuff in it that's very uncharacteristic for a Star Wars movie. I mean, I. I hate to say this, but uh, you could tell that this Star Wars is more influenced by the Marvel movies than any other, because they're owned by the same corporation. First, yeah. Secondly, because because there is a there is a lot of humor in the movie, and and most of the humor lands. I mean, most of the humor works. Um, But but from the and from the very start. Some of it doesn't, right? No, some yeah, does but not, not to an embarrassing degree. I mean, if nine out of ten jokes land, then that's a yeah. success. Okay. I um, but uh, and and it, the Benicio del Toro character is—it's uh, weird, but uh, that it, doesn't belong because that doesn't go anywhere. It, I would have—I was it, thinking, man, wouldn't it be a great idea to to put Lando Calrissian in that part? Uh, yeah, try to find a way for for him to have gotten them in there. I was, you know, I agree. That's a great point. That's my problem. That middle part of the movie, it just doesn't feel like it belongs. Um, it, um, I, I guess that's that's the problem. But I I, I still found it more enjoyable than not. Um, so I mean, yeah. I just think I just think it, it, it. I think it did what it had to do. Maybe not to the degree of. A lot of other people, but I did enjoy it for what it is. Um, but I, it was Luke. Yeah, I, I, think, I, 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 I Luke. Luke is the movie to me. Luke is why I really came to see. I won't lie to you. Um, What's also so interesting is good in it? the JJ. 
He's I'm okay. sorry, is he good in it? Yes. Quite, I think it's a, I really do think it's a great performance. I thought Gary Fisher was good in it, too. And, and the sad thing about that is that's all we get. That's it. Mm. That's it. The next film has one thing going for it. I couldn't tell you what it's going to be. Not in a million years. And I think that's the most promising thing I can say about it is no one knows what it's going to be. Um, mm. it, for, for me, I mean, The Force Awakens, what worked about that, uh, just because it was needed after those terrible prequels, is that mm-hmm. it, 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 thrived, it thrived on nostalgia. Like, the highlights mm-hmm. of that movie were the nostalgic elements. Right. This one, those nostalgic elements uh, did not work very well for me. Like, there's a scene between um, Luke Skywalker and Yoda that I thought was really kind of sloppy and haphazard, the way they played between each other. I mm-hmm. was like, well, that could have played, played for a lot more pathos. Um so, but the the original the stuff that's original to this movie, what it does with its characters, the fact that the last Jedi isn't Skywalker or Rey, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it subverted expectations in several ways that I thought I thought made it uh, made it a worthy a worthy episode in this franchise. Um, yeah. Some have also said that this movie begins and ends in basically the same place, so no real forward momentum is really made outside of the Luke character. Uh, you know and what happens there. It's it's what we talked about, I guess, at the end of the when we're talking about the Force Awakens, um, kind of how just the resistance or whatever keeps getting smaller and smaller. Um, that would be the, the one difference, I guess. Um, mm. And I, I and I find that well, a very but, interesting but, thing. But the way but the way it develops is there's a whole new generation that are coming up. I mm. mean that's what the last shot of the movie means. Right. And and the the, the arc of uh, Adam Driver's character takes a really unexpected turn. Uh, where the, that's that's going to go places that are interesting. It, and I think actually, so. I've never, never thought I'd say this about a Star Wars movie. Uh, it has the best kill out of any Star Wars movie. <laughs> okay, interesting. I, I, I don't. I'll be looking for that one. <laughs> I mean, one, it sounds like something. I, it's like we're talking about a Rambo. I, I don't expect <laughs> to say that for Star Wars. But. No, no, of course not. <laughs> one detail that one detail that I've learned about that really makes me roll my eyes, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it. Is there's a moment where where uh, Princess Leia is flying through space? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a little wacky, but but I, I, I I'm not watching a Frederick Wiseman movie. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, but there are some, there are some rules. I mean, this is something we've never seen in a Star Wars movie before. But isn't that okay though? Isn't that all right? can I ask? You know, the last film is criticized for you know the nostalgia for basically tracing over the original Star Wars, and everyone, right. this one tries to at least tries to be something different, and it's getting criticized for that. So it does go back to the whole Mitchum thing. You can't please anybody. Stop crying. I mean, and here's here's another thing too. I guess this is the first one that doesn't have a a Death Star, right? So how does God that work out? That. How does that work out for it? Because you know, I was waiting for the, this, you know, and it might be that people are 
people are reacting in a sort of cognitive, you know, cognitively dissonant kind of way where they're like, wait, this goes, something's wrong here. There's no yeah. Death Star. It's weird. I, I didn't. I didn't think once about the Death Star. I did. I didn't yeah. miss the Death Star at all. It's, no, it's basically I, I, a standoff. I mean, it's basically yeah. the the rebel army is is waiting for uh, the resistance to 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 run out of fuel, mm-hmm. uh, so they so they can blast them into in, infinity and get rid of them. Right. Uh, that's what it is. It's a space standoff. Uh, that's one subplot, and then the others, Luke and Ray, on the island, uh, and they engage a lot more in what what the Force is uh, in conversation. And they kind of set the stage for what Leia ends up doing in space and what Luke does at the end of it, where they expanded the, the power of the Force and, and what it means and how you attain it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I had no problem. I'm not, uh, that's so unbelievable. I've, I've never said that in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just, I, yeah. yeah. Well, here's wonder. another complaint okay. that I've read about. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, that, uh, that, that, you know, you know how Luke had to really train to be a Jedi. Actually mm-hmm. had to go away and train. And here's, here's Ray and she, she's just an instant master. Well, she doesn't, she uh, she doesn't train film, at all. She was that in the other film. No, she doesn't really train, but she already, there's, oh God, how do I say this? So she really, one of, I actually think it's a relief that um, can we can we talk about spoilers in front of you, Dean? Is that all right? For you <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, pr- no problem. I mean, it, okay, can I? You know, go ahead. Her, she, her parents are her parents. I think are, are they're no one we know. They're they're, yeah. they're as as Adam Driver tells it, they, they were nobody. They're junk. They're junk traders who traded her basically traded her in for drinking money. Essentially, <laughs> that's the exact thing. And I think that's actually really that goes against the whole Star Wars thing. Also. Good. She's not a Skywalker. She's not a, a I, Kenobi's granddaughter. I, as one I personally Trump like that. I, th- I thought that was. Yes. Yeah, I like that too. Because not yes. not everybody's not everybody's brother and sister should be fucking each other in this. Yeah, space exactly. I, I agree thought, I completely. thought it was like a nice change up. Yeah, it is. It, so it, nice. it is, and and we we don't. We don't need any more, you know, Luke, I'm your father moments or whatever. I mean, that's, yeah, that's I mean, it done. works. We're all looking for that time. stuff now, anyway. Yeah, um, but here's the thing. Um, it's so nice because all these fan theories, I'm like, guys, have you included this in it? I would roll my eyes. The whole idea that she's Ben Kenobi's granddaughter, really? we got to <laughs> bring him back into this? <laughs> Did you hear the other theory? Oh, she's really Palpatine's daughter. I didn't know he was getting busy with the ladies. I had no idea. These fan theories were so ridiculous. You just really, you, and you wanted this in your movie? Didn't you want to be surprised? Wouldn't it be nice to be surprised again? I mean, I, that's what I don't, uh, it's just, it's really, and I think that's what it is. I think there's a, there's a how should I say it, a, a small group in the fan, hardcore fan community is so outraged every time the movie, you can't please them. And you have to ask. You have to be like Francois Truffaut, and at the end of Closing Counters, the third guy, when he goes to Richard Dreyfuss, well, what more do you want? I mean, they want to write it. They want to write it. And it would suck. It would be the worst thing ever made. Maybe one day, you know, I think maybe one day, uh, and maybe this will happen, that Disney will uh, put up some kind of big uh, contest to uh, to get some people, some super fans in, 
to actually consult on the screenplay or to uh, not to write it. I don't think they would ever do that, but to consult on it. What what's character development? What do you mean? What's my character? Motivation? What's motivation? I don't know. I'm still in my. I think my mom's basement. I got a bowl under my bong water. Oh God! I mean, what, what do you mean? That that stuff. I didn't under. I didn't understand the salt turning red. Maybe because I'm not a chemist, but uh, but the <laughs> visual of that was really really, you know, really I like stunning. That, thing, the that, that should be a your review and like quote it. I'm not a chemist, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. Yeah. Well, but me personally, uh, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it I've is. heard that too about it. Um, uh, I've heard that the look, <laughs> the look of it also is very, very much, you know, a kind of a, a nod to Empire Strikes Back as well, mm-hmm. a little, a little yeah. darker, uh, like blacker, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, just, uh, with the characters you know. too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which um, I'm sorry. <laughs> There is there is a streak of racism going on too among some of the fans that don't like. They think that Star Wars is playing the diversity for diversity's sake. Which the Asian character in the film that is Finn's sidekick throughout the film, she's a really endearing character. I like yeah. her a lot. Yeah, but she's, oh, no. getting, yeah, she's, she's getting some negative reviews. Was it Rose? Is that her name? Yeah, Rose. Yeah. Yeah, they just don't. They don't like the fact that there's a there's a woman in charge and and stuff. Uh, they they some some of them don't. You know, some of them. Yeah, don't I mean, embrace all really, that at all. It 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 is. You, you, people show their true colors during this franchise. It seems to be when they don't like it, they literally let their true colors come out. Um, yeah. Mm. And you know what? I mean, I mean, Carrie Fisher's dead, but they can they can bring back Princess Leia for the. Next one, they can just like do some CGI and Kathleen Turner, and we'll, we're there. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but can I just say a, a part that really made me smile, just like it was I thought was funny, was how agile Adam Driver gets when he sees the Millennium Falcon, and he's like, "Shoot that piece of junk down!" <laughs> I just yeah. love that kind of stuff. He gets so he's so angry still that anything that that reminds him of his father, he just has like this these fit these tantrums. I mean, mm. well, I'll be uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll be watching it. You should uh, see it. I'll be yeah, you watching should check it. it out. But I'm gonna check it out. Like I'm gonna wait like two or three weeks at least because I don't want to see it with a bunch of cheerleaders in the audience. I mean, the last time that I saw a Star Wars movie, it was a critic screening. There were only about 30 people there, maybe 35. And half of them had, these critics now, had lightsabers in their hands and stuff. And I was like, ah. Are you saying they weren't happy to see you, Dean? Are you saying they happy to see you? But I was like, ah, boy. I just I just uh, want to see it with like three or four old people in the audience like at 12 o'clock on a Wednesday. You want to see it when the picket line stops. It was so fun to watch it with people that were really into it, though. It was, it uh, was. It was a good it time. Was. I, I'll, let, I'll okay. let them have their good time. I'll, I'll just stay off of it to the side and, and just appreciate the movie for what well, it is. Well, there's so much more to see before then, though. You know, there's so much other things to see. Yeah. Before we get into Golden Gloves, I want to say that I did watch Wonder Wheel. And... I I don't think it's like anywhere near his worst. I think it's in the okay. 
middling uh, the middling Woody Allen area. Okay. But okay. if you got rid of one character, um, the movie would be almost as good as Blue Jasmine for me. Uh, the thing that I found most tiring about it was the Justin Timberlake character. He oh, is okay. really the Woody Allen. He's really the Woody Allen surrogate in this. And okay. uh, right. first of all, I don't. I I don't think Justin Timberlake's a very good actor. But in his defense, at his defense, I don't think anybody could have played that part very well. Uh, it's just so tired, and uh, that's the tired Woody Allen, uh, the writer that you know, wants to know about life. And so he's sleeping with the women and he's torn between two women. And it seems like that's the Woody Allen surrogate. Mm, But the Kate Winslet character, Kate Winslet's character in the thing, um, I liked, uh, I liked that character in the way it's a similar desperate woman that Kate Blanchett is in Blue Jasmine. Right. But Blue Jasmine, her, um, her way of life is crumbling and she's suffering some kind of mental breakdown as a result mm-hmm. because she's forced to uh, confront her vapidity. Um, but okay. the Kate Winslet character in Wonder Wheel is closer to Rebecca Hall in Vicky Christina. It's like the life I should have had uh, and, and regrets mm. and that consumes her in such a way um, that I, and I think Kate Winslet played that so beautifully, and there are moments in that movie that I felt Winslet was really close to like breakthroughs, like expressing something she's never been able to express before in her work. Uh, James Belushi, mm, okay. I thought was great. Uh, James Belushi, I he thought was good. great in that role. Mm-hmm. And uh, but mostly, it's the strength of the photography. And I, well, I don't movie. think I don't think people are. Um, giving it enough credit for the photography because I guess the, the movie is a wash in like sea blue and amber. Mm-hmm. And you could say that it's motivated by the carnival colors outside, but not really. I mean, it's done in a very impressionistic way mm-hmm. so that it, depending on the temperature of any particular scene, they'll draw the lights from the, the really hot, hot uh, orange and they'll draw it down to deep blue and they'll draw it up again. I mean, it's very impressionistically done. And I thought incredibly bold. Uh, and and such an achievement unto itself. No, no, it looks good. But I just thought, I just felt, for me, it was, I felt like I was watching a play. And I just, it, it just, for me, it just felt like I was watching a play. That was my... Older, I personally hate oh, that feeling. I think in terms of the photography and the way some of the scenes are played, uh... I think what he's going for is Douglas Sirk. And I don't hear anybody talking about Douglas Sirk in relation to this movie. Mm-hmm. But, because it, uh, doesn't, because think, it doesn't conform to Douglas Sirk, you know, locales, I guess. Well, you I know. mean, it, it is, is a melodrama. It is, it, is, it is a melodrama, and uh, and it's a wash in, in bold colors that match the, the, the passions of the characters involved. Yeah, no, no, uh, I get that you know. part of it, but it doesn't take place in, in you know, in New England in the in the autumn or anything. So it's like, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a circus kind of place to be. So, but yeah, I I get what you're saying. Uh, well, yeah, I, I might go see that one tomorrow. Who knows? But uh, uh, I saw the I saw the uh, disaster artist. I wanted to mention this, and uh, I really really uh, dug it. 
uh, most of the way through. Um, of course, uh, James Franco is brilliant in it. Uh, he he really made me laugh. I I was not expecting to to respond to the sweetness of the character, uh, and I really did. But I was disappointed that in the middle, and I understand why they did this. Uh, when he finally gets on set, he turns into an asshole that's not very likable. And uh, so for me, some of the laughs go out of it. Now, I know a lot of people think that this might be the funniest part of the movie um, because it it directly relates to the movie The Room more. Uh, But I was taken out of the movie. uh, These are some of the things that brought it down a, a, a notch for me. Where uh, I, I I was taken out of the movie with the Seth Rogen character, who I felt, <clears throat> and some of his satellites behind the camera, you know, uh, who I felt was uh, pointing out the problems in the making of the movie, or pointing out the jokes, if you will, a little too much. Like, oh, well, don't you want to do it a different way? You don't want <laughs> you don't want to. Do it like that. You just shot yourself, or you know, why are you moving now? I just don't. Uh, I I could not buy that someone who is being paid by the uh, by uh, Tommy Wiseau would uh, would step in and actually mess with anything that he that he wanted to be done. So I didn't feel that that was realistic. I don't feel that. I don't feel like it's a common practice, even in the worst of uh, lowest-rated sort of B-movies being made today, for people behind the camera to question the director and his uh, his wants, um, so or her wants. Uh, I just don't don't think that they do that. I think that they do the job that they were paid to do, and they do it they do it uh, to the best of their ability. So. Uh, now I, I would say that you know maybe behind the scenes uh, they would have conversations like I don't think this is going so well or whatever you know <laughs> which they have a little bit of that in the movie but uh, so I I couldn't that kept the Rogan character and, uh, and a couple of others kept pulling me out of it a little bit and uh, also <clears throat> I I could not buy the whole ending with the. Uh, with the premiere showing of the room and everybody reacting halfway through the movie, like, this isn't going so well. And then by the end of it, like cheering, like how come movies can never get, and I'm talking about movies like as diverse as uh, I'm just thinking of one right now, but you know, one that I love is, is uh, Sullivan's travels. How come people never can get the real kind of reactions of people uh, watching a movie and thinking that it's funny. Why do they have to just keep laughing and laughing and laughing, laughing over the dialogue, cheering over the dialogue? Like they just, they just keep la- laughing like they're insane. And uh, that's the way it's treated in this movie. Like it's treated like these people who worked on the movie <laughs> and should be should be invested in seeing it be successful suddenly just gave up and just said, ah, I'm embracing it as as a crazy crazy comedy or whatever. I don't think that they would have done that. I think they would have been very disappointed. Uh, and I think, you know, only later on when they find out that it's a, 
it's a midnight movie success or whatever that they would uh they would embrace all of that stuff so i i just i could not buy that ending you know that sort of false phony uh happy ending uh i i could well, it was pretty you know, apparent would, at the start it was it was apparent from the first screenings what it was though i mean tommy Wiseau changed the billboard to read it just said a, ton, uh, uh, a tennis uh a uh Tennessee Williams drama or a drama out of Tennessee Williams and after that first showing he added uh, and black comedy uh, to the billboard so he everybody knew at the that first showing that uh, they should sell it as a comedy mm, okay well I, I still didn't uh, buy the reaction of the audience being just Unrelenting mercilessness to the point of it being a bedlam in the theater. Like, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, that was overkill. And uh, if they would have done it with a little bit more of a subtler hand, I could buy that. <laughs> but uh, the funny, I, I, the funniest part is that when he had, when he added and a black comedy to the billboard, he kept a Tennessee Williams drama. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't going to let go of that. <laughs> Yeah, see, yeah, he, he yeah, that is funny. But you know, the reason to see it is is I, is James Franco, and I like I like his brother Dave. Uh, you know, Dave looks so much like James. The movie starts off on Dave's face as he's playing right. and waiting for Godot, and I thought, what? I was momentarily confused. I was like, is that is that James Franco there? Like. So it was a little confusing at the at the very very beginning, but uh, I, I thought their relationship was very good. And the two biggest laughs for me is that moment where he comes in to see uh, uh, see uh, Dave Franco's mother, and she questions him, and she says, she's, she says, "How old are you?" He says, "Oh, I'm 19." And yeah. He goes, "Oh yeah, and I'm a 14 year old girl." And he goes, "Oh, happy birthday." <laughs> <laughs> that's the funniest. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great line. And then then the biggest laugh in, for me in the movie is that scene with him in the uh, audition where he's oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> where they ask him oh, to yeah. drop the <laughs> drop the uh, the accent and it just gets worse. Oh my yeah. god! Uh, he he is fantastic. He's he might yeah. be my choice for best actor of the year. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that the movie is a comedy because uh, very, uh, you know, the establishment isn't going to share your enthusiasm, I don't think. But they should. It's, I mean, it's a transformative yeah. performance, no matter I, what genre it is. I think, I think he's the lock for a Best Actor nomination, though. Uh, yeah, so oh yeah, he's a lock. So, uh, but, uh, but I'm happy, happy for it, and I thought the screenplay was good and everything. So. Uh, so good on those guys too. Uh, um, yeah, so that'll be interesting. Different. I mean, I I think it'd be a great story if he got a nomination, but I I don't think he will. So that that that'll be a that'll be a bet little bet that we have come okay. Oscar nomination time. Okay. But what a great story for playing yeah for playing the maker of the worst movie ever made to be up there for best. <laughs> yeah, I mean that kind of takes this story in the full circle, you know? It's like, you did make it to the Oscars, Tommy Wiseau. I think I think that that's going to carry over. I think that's going to carry over and guarantee a nomination. I think there's just, there's, there's going to be some excitement over that. So, 
fan. Yeah, I'd like it if it happened. Uh, all right, Golden Globe nominations. Uh, we won't we won't do TV until unless we have time for it. Which, okay, uh, you know, I'm sure the pro- the producers of the Golden Globe would also like to go go by that mandate. But uh, <laughs> best uh, here are the nominations: best foreign language film, a fantastic woman. That must be science fiction. First, they killed my father. <laughs> Uh, in the fade, loveless, and the square. What? What? The, um, there's a lot of controversy over uh, the shortlisted foreign language films for the Oscars, and the ones they just got rid of right off the bat, without considering. You know. Well, basically the, the everything on this everything on this list made the short list except the Angelina Jolie movie. So, yeah, there uh, were some others though that people were like, "How could you not?" Oh yeah, BPM uh, is the big, uh, yes. you know, the beats, beats yeah. per minute is the uh, is the other uh, other one that. Oh really wow! Surprised. That didn't make it. That did not make it. No. Oh my god! So, but uh, I'm, <laughs> you know, uh, Fantastic Woman is from Sebastian Lelio from from Chile and uh, the. Lead in that, I believe, is a transgender woman. Uh, so, and some people are predicting that as maybe a surprise actress nominee. Um, uh, uh, in the Fade has gotten great reviews and also great reviews for its lead, Diane Kruger. Uh, and she's also been talked about yeah. in the Best Actress category as well. But I really think it's going to be down to Loveless in the Square. Mm-hmm. I'm predicting the square. I just think I think it's a I think it's probably a little bit more um uh accessible uh than Loveless is. Uh and uh I I, I just think uh and, and I think the uh the palm d'or that it won is gonna be something there. But you know, this is the Globes, so they might just give it to first they kill first they killed my father just yeah, to give Angelina that's Jolie. I think. Yeah, that's, I think so that's yeah. too. That 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 would make sense too. So if they, you know, I could easily see it going that way as well. Uh, what is the? I even started to watch it last week. There's a foreign language film that's really um, getting a lot of acclaim this year about a woman that with a large family that decides to live on her own. She's middle aged. Uh, oh, Bronner. or. God, I can't remember the name of it. it. It's it's on a lot of top ten lists, end of the year lists, though. Yeah, that one I I don't recognize right offhand. Best motion picture animated, uh, Coco. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can just right? move on from that. <laughs> but the other nominees are the Boss Baby and the Breadwinner and Ferdinand and Loving Vincent. But we can just go on because it's going to be Coco. I would like to see Ferdinand. Yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I have a section for the original am, cartoon. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, I am curious. I won't lie to you. I am curious about that one. The breadwinner is very good, though, I have to say. I'd, I'd like to see that, too. Yeah, I remember you say yeah, I definitely want to check that out, too. Uh, best original song. Uh, Jerry, wait until I name all the nominees before you start the medley. Uh, <laughs> okay. How did you know? Home... Home from Ferdinand, Mighty River from Mudbound, Remember Me from Coco, The Star from The Star, 
and this is me from The Greatest Showman. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize there's an original musical coming out on Christmas Day with Hugh Jackman. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of excitement about it, but uh, they've tried to drum up excitement. I got some invitation to a special Saturday morning screening of it. I was like, oh, God, no. <laughs> I have, I have less than zero on, interest in it. Is it based on? Like, is it not? Is it an original? Or is it based on the on the show? Barnum. That I, I no, no, no. Um, Barnum. Barnum was a musical on its own, a, a completely different book and and score and everything. So this is this is, you know, they are lifting it basically from Barnum, but they gave it a new score and everything. And okay, it, okay. You know, so, so but I saw that was Stacy Keach as Barnum. That was very good. I saw that like a long time ago. It was mm-hmm. very good. Well, uh, this one has a, uh, a score by the guys that did the lyrics now for uh, La La Land. So not oh, the okay. not the guy that did the music for it, but the, just the lyricist did the did the music and the lyrics for this. So the star is uh, co-written by um, uh, by Mary J. Blige, and I got a I got a. Uh, a promotional item that uh, is like one of those singing uh, postcards, you know, like you open it up and it, it sings the song to you, you know, it has a recording of the song. And uh, I threw it away immediately, and uh, all week my uh, my trash can was singing this song. <laughs> <laughs> It was like I'd hear I'd hear this song coming from saying like real far away. What is that? I forgot I threw this thing away, but um uh, uh, Remember right. Me, I think it's done by Nick Jonas, par- partially by Nick Jonas and then Mudbound, uh Mary Mary J. Blige did the song for that or co wrote it. And I forget who does the Ferdinand song. But uh I think they'll give it to Mary J. Blige for Mudbound. Mighty River. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not very excited about the songs this year. Yeah. There's. Uh, I only heard not. Two... Uh, you know, maybe maybe if you're you're the you're the best around from the Karate Kid, if that was in the running, I'd I'd be more excited. <laughs> <laughs> the only two songs that I heard this year that I really loved were uh, I did like that song by The Roots from uh, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I really loved the song at the end of Battle of the Sexes. Um, oh, yeah, that was good. I, like I thought that was really wonderful. Uh, and I think there's a song in A Ghost Story that I thought was pretty good. And I did like the songs in uh, in Call Me By Your Name as well, Stuff Jen Stevens. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. Original score. Oh, original original songs alive and well. I didn't know there were that many original songs in these movies. Um, okay. Best original score. Carter Burwell for Three Billboards. Uh, Alexander Splatt for The Shape of Water. Johnny Greenwood for Phantom Thread. John Williams for The Post. And Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk. Your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I. I, I I I uh, I don't have any doubt that he could win, uh, yeah. even though I hate the fucking score. <laughs> <laughs> it's essential to the movie, though I think, and um, uh, it's 
I, strangely enough, it's one of my favorite scores of the year. Um, but uh, so I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk on this. I did love that Carter Burwell score for three billboards, though. That's a, I think I'd like to see more scores like that that are not uh, orchestral, but are more, uh, you know, uh, maybe a more limited orchestra, maybe a 16-piece orchestra rather than a 54-piece. Uh, well, I mean, the Johnny Greenwood score, I think that's a minimalist piano for the most part. That's good. I'd like to see more stuff like that. Those are actually all, usually my favorite scores are the piano stuff. I mean, that's why my favorite Williams score is Exxon Tourist. And, uh, I mean, that's piano and very little orchestra, but, uh-huh. which is unusual. And, by the way, The Last Jedi as well, I mean, John Williams still has it. I mean, that's some rousing music that he does, gives The Last Jedi, I thought. That'll probably make it into the Oscar race rather than the post, which I cannot remember the post score at all. I don't even remember a yeah. moment where I where I wow, what a great theme. Never happened. Yeah. The screenplay, motion picture. Well what other screenplays are there? <laughs> well um, the T V <laughs> Well that's a teleplay, right? They, right. uh, I don't know what they call it, but uh, Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor for *The Shape of Water*, uh, also co-written by that *Shape Between Us* guy, the *Space Between Us* guy, <laughs> and, which I have some <laughs> reportage to do on that to to report go on. Ahead. In just we're, a we're in this, this category, so go ahead. Okay, well, *The Shape of Water* uh, is not taken from that piece. Uh, Apparently, uh, you know, at my request, Jeff Wells went and talked to Guillermo del Toro about it. Uh, he happened to run into him at an event, and uh, he asked him about it. He had he says he had not seen it yet, but that uh, the next morning he watched it. Uh, he said that uh, he and his co-writer had started working on The Shape of Water in 2012. And they have the, the Fox has the, has the, corp, uh, I guess the, the necessary paperwork to prove it. And uh, so I take, I take Gilbert Otoro at his word. Uh, however, I do think that that means that this guy who, who made this short film, The Space Between Us, did some stealing of his own. Somebody is stealing from somebody. So if we don't believe that Guillermo del Toro is, then then we have to believe that the other guy is. And uh, so I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know if he By got way, an early after, script after, or something. After Jeffrey Wells posted that, uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, he followed us on Twitter, and then he unfollowed us within like three minutes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but okay. yeah. but I got the notification on my on my tablet. Guillermo de Toro followed you, and I was like, "What?" Uh, uh, so, <laughs> well, investigating us. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, um, well, so okay. Yeah, screenplay yeah. nomination: Shape okay. of Water, uh, then Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, uh, then uh, Liz Hanna and Josh Singer for The Post, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards, Aaron Sorkin for Molly's Game. They can't let an Eric Sorkin go by. 
Um, yeah, to me, this has to be between Gerwig and McDonough. Uh, but I'm going by quality. <laughs> That's not necessarily what we get in the in the gloves. Yeah. In the gloves. So, uh, so I have to kind of put myself in their weird mindset. So, uh, so I'm just going to go out on a limb and say they're going to give it to Aaron Sorkin just because they love stars. I go ahead. Maybe maybe Gerwig. (laughs) Yeah, Jerry. Did you have something to say here? Jerry dropped it. I think Jerry dropped off. For that for that same reason that you gave, I'm I'm going to say they're going to give it to the post. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I mean, they I mean, might give it to Greta Gerwig, but they, yeah, yeah, that's true. No one's to keep in score. Uh, they might give it to Greta Gerwig, uh, but they, they did, they did snub her in the director category. So, uh, but she's been nominated before uh, for, for some of her a uh, couple of performances. Uh, so, uh, she's gotten a little bit of uh, Golden Globes love. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds weird yeah. to say it that way, but I mean, I'm just I'm just I'm just saying this because it will give them a chance to go up to the podium and make the political statement about the the press, uh, and this is the Hollywood Foreign Press uh, mm-hmm. voting for this. And yeah, yeah, that's 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 well reasoned. Yeah, maybe you're right. I'll change I'll change my uh, yeah. Okay, I'll go with you. You change my mind. The Post. I agree. Oh my God, that's you never changed my mind. Before. <laughs> yeah, I'm making a note. I'm making a note to pull this clip. Um, okay, best supporting actor performance. The nominees are Willem Dafoe for the Florida Project, uh, Armand Hammer Baking Soda for Call Me by Your Name, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water. He is he is related he is related to them, right? The baking soda family, right? I think he is. Yeah, that's something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when you put him in the freezer, man, he keeps things so fresh. I just, <laughs> <laughs> he and uh, he and uh, uh, Balthazar Getty should get together and have oh, that's discussions. True. Uh, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, which that's sports discussion, <laughs> and uh, Sam Rockwall for Three Billboards. Now, I mean, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that in the end, this race is between Willem Dafoe and Sam Rockwell, or it seems to be, yes. even though there's a lot of pushback on both movies, um, ha- have vocal dissension. But um, I think a supporting performance can escape that. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll be Willem Dafoe. I think, you know, he's got more of a sense of being due. Um, right. It's not necessarily the kind of the normal kind of uh, showy uh, best supporting actor uh, Oscar winner. Um, he, uh, he he seems very real in it, and uh, those kind of performances don't necessarily uh, win Oscars. But uh, I think in this case it'll happen for him. And uh, yeah, there's pushback on Sam Rockwell just because of the character, I guess the sort of redemption of the character a lot of people can't 
can't buy that. Uh, well, he's not fully redeemed. And by the way, we don't see him do a, a lot. Uh, you know, we see him say a lot of things, but we don't see him, you know, commit a lot of uh, or any uh, transgressions against minorities in it. So, um, very, very few at least. And so, but but people. But you can are, imagine that he does. I mean, if he if he beats yeah. if he beats the the that young guy to pulp sure. and throws him out a window. You can imagine the rumors are true that he tortured a black guy. Yes, yes, and of course he does. He does jail a jail a black woman in it, so for no good reason. So, um, uh, yeah. So, I, you know what? I I, I heard I heard the pod, uh, this podcast where they talked about three billboards. Um, Joe uh, Joe Eisenberg, great uh, supporter of the show, he sent me the link to it because he said, "Man, you're." Your opinion on three billboards is so outside what these people are saying, and I listened to it where they said it was just uh, they thought it was kind of a gross, dumbfounding racist movie. But I did listen to them, and I thought, man, it's so telling that I did not see that at all in it. But uh, there are elements like how Woody Harrelson is so accepting of keeping him on, like oh he's he's a good guy, he's just misunderstood or that. What I admired about the movie is that it, even even the most deplorable characters, uh, it it looked behind what was the basis of their behavior, which was essentially they're just fucking miserable in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, quite frankly, think the vast majority of of racists are miserable fucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it also time, it yeah. also pointed to the mother as being a major influence, uh, in, in and I think that's also very true of of, of, uh, of these type of people is that they've they've grown up being lied to by their mamas and daddies, right. and uh, they believe those lies, and they're going to stick to it, and uh, and uh, that's that's part of the problem. So. And 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 by the end, uh, by the end, by making a, a little effort towards doing the right thing, uh, it, it is suggested that he is in the process of freeing himself from that uh, that albatross of, of of violence, aggression, and discrimination, and all of that. Uh, but it doesn't do it in an easy way. I mean, he's not completely transformed. It's it's a it's a process, man. Mm. It, mm. it sees the humanity in all the characters. It sees the potential for humanity in all the characters too, which I think is equally important. Mm. Uh, as for Christopher Plummer being uh, being chosen, I kind of saw this coming. Uh, they uh, first of all, the Hollywood Foreign Press were the first people to see the movie, uh, and I don't even think it was finished. Um, so, uh, so they were probably thrilled, <laughs> you know, that they, uh, they, they got to see it first and, uh, and just the, the narrative behind Christopher Plummer's performance being, you know, of course, replacing Kevin Spacey's, uh, yep. and so, uh, and he's, he's well loved too. And boy, I think that, you know, also not only, <clears throat> did uh Ridley Scott do an amazing thing in replacing Spacey. He did he did the movie a service because uh Spacey's Spacey's makeup <laughs> was just 
terrible. I mean, yeah. it just looked so phony. I would have wanted to change it immediately just on that basis alone. Uh, and maybe, who knows, maybe maybe Ridley Scott said, well, that's a good reason. That's also a good reason to go back and redo it because that stuff just doesn't work. Um, Plummer looks, Plummer, you know, he's a real old man. He's he's an eighty year old guy. He's, they shouldn't have yeah. gotten an eighty year old guy to play the role. Uh, so, anyway. but you know, if Kevin, if if they kept Kevin Spacey, he probably would have scored a nomination too. Probably. Uh, it, uh, however, I mean uh, Ridley Scott. I really Scott is a real hero here, but uh, <laughs> uh, welcome back, Jerry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, dude. I, I just like, I'm, I'm exhausted. You gotta forgive me. I've had a long day. You gotta forgive me. I'm sorry if I did anything That's bad. Right. No, you didn't. Um, Ridley, Ridley Scott, I I could see them saying uh, let's nominate him because this is a Herculean feat he pulled off here. Which really was, and his attitude is, uh, yeah, fuck it, do it, let's do it. You know, he's so rah rah at eighty yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yes, yeah, he's uh, he's he is amazing, and he's probably used to, you know, this guy is this is a this is a director that did commercials for many many years right. before he broke into movies, so he's used he to working fast. under pressure. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Uh, best uh, performance. By an actor, musical or comedy, um, Steve Carell, Battle of the Sexes, Ansel Elgort, Elgort, Baby Driver. Is that the lead? Is that the, He's the guy, lead, yes. the actual driver? Yeah. He's the baby driver. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, that's right. Was he harmed during the making of that movie? What now? Was he harmed during the making of that movie? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. That was a poor taste. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sure Edgar Wright's like, God, Mr. Plummer, can you, can we, can we recast Kevin Spacey after the fact and have you and Baby Driver? Mm-hmm. I mean, people love that movie. I'm wondering what the legacy of that movie will be with Spacey in it now. I mean, yeah. yeah, I know. It's some people um, are calling it the last Kevin Spacey movie. Could be. I mean, it could be the last one that sees release. Mm-hmm. Um, James Franco, the disaster artist, Hugh Jackman, the greatest showman, and Daniel Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's, it's going to be gonna between be Franco and Kaluuya, um, and uh, Kaluuya is really gating in the race for best actor. Because uh, he got the SAG mm. nomination too, uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, some some people are are uh, kind of surprised by it. I guess I'm not. Uh, I always knew that Get Out, you know, was going to be a major player at the end of the year, uh, and uh, it doesn't surprise. You know, I knew it was going to be a Best Picture nominee uh, once I saw it. Uh, you know, at least it was going to be in the in the in the discussion, uh, and um, uh, and with that, you've got to predict at least one acting nomination, and uh, hmm. his 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 performance is probably the one uh, out of out of that whole cast. I mean, I really like little Ray, little Ray uh, Howery in it. 
too. I wish he was being talked out talked about more for supporting uh consideration, but it's a largely comedic performance there. But uh you know, it's funny I through Jeffrey Wells learned something interesting about the movie from the editor of uh Get Out that apparently <clears throat> Jordan Peele filmed all of the scenes in three different ways. One in one way as a com- as a dark comedy, in another way as a horror movie, and in another way as a as a thriller. And oh, uh, wow. and they actually sort of discovered the rhythm of the movie in the editing room through through those various takes. So that might uh, that might explain the sort of a uh, very strange kind of um, mixture that the movie has yeah. with comedy and horror. I, I, right. I, I love a director that doesn't know what he wants. <laughs> uh, so in in that category, it's going to be James Franco, right? Absolutely, I think. Oh, I think so, yeah. Yep. Best and that'll keep, his, actor. that'll keep his name, you know, in the Oscar conversation. So, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Best performance by an actor in a drama, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread, Tom Hanks, The Post, Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. You can't negotiate with a python when you're headed to the south! (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Denzel Washington, Roman J. Israel. I love that Roman J. Israel... Denzel Washington has gotten a nomination in the Globes and at SAG, which I don't think anybody should be surprised by that. Uh, As we've said on the show, it's one of his one of his better performances. Um, He really tries something different, and uh, no one should be surprised by this at all. Even if the movie has been, you know, not amazing at the box office or whatever, and. Consequently, also, I, f- I feel like Gary Oldman's chances are dimming for Best Actor. I mean, it yeah. still might happen. It seems like a good traditional kind of Best right. Actor kind of thing. And uh, it's, you know, uh, uh, he hasn't oh. had he hasn't had very many kind words to say about the Golden Globes in the past, which is kind of surprising that he's uh, he's in the mix. But they couldn't they couldn't ignore it. And uh, but I feel like. I feel like things are dimming for him. Uh, yeah, in some ways. It's so weird. I mean, uh, like his career is a story of <clears throat> it's not the right time kind of thing, and I could easily see him picking up an honorary before he, you know, in the absence of winning any acting awards at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> in this race though, I I don't know. I think. Uh, I don't know. He he might very well pull it out, uh, you know, or they uh Okay, it's it's between okay, we can throw Hanks and Washington out. Uh mm-hmm. it's really between Day Lewis, Oldman and Chalamet. Three different kind of narratives. Oldman is due. Daniel Day Lewis last movie. Timothy Chalamet striking striking, you know, kind of debut. Maybe not his debut, but uh you know his breakthrough. This movie role. is the front runner, though. That's what it, is this movie really the front runner? What? Call um, me by your name? Yeah. No. 
It seems that way, though. And I saw it yesterday, and I got to say, I just, I don't know, man. I just don't know. <laughs> now, Gene, you... you said wine and cheese. And I, you know, they didn't have wine and cheese where I was. So I was, like, really, you know, kind of perplexed by the whole thing. So, I mean, <laughs> no, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, you said pull it out. That was kind of fun. That was kind of interesting, though. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know what to make of this movie. I don't know. I, I mean, it's a beautiful-looking movie, but I, I just – Something, I don't know. I But everyone's raving about it. I just sort of felt like, okay, all right. Um, yeah, all right. Oh, yeah. Okay, but the two thi- my two complaints about it were that it was dull. I thought it was dull. <laughs> well, you're very Yeah, okay. And, and it's a love story, which you, I don't believe they demonstrate the love between the two people. I just, uh, I don't see, I don't understand it. Uh, it's, there's. There's nothing to it besides the fact that Army Hammer's hot. He looks great with his shirt off. And uh, Timothy Chalamet's a little twink. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) With his his little chest, his little hairless chest, and wearing uh, wearing Army Hammer's uh, swimming trunks on his head. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And and fucking a peach. Um, is that something that's going to be taught in film school from here on out, or what? I mean, we've had two major kind of sexual scenes this year with fruit involved. We've had the yes. <laughs> we've had the peach in uh, Call Me by Your Name, and we've had the pineapple in Girls Trip, where where uh, Tiffany Haddish demonstrates a uh, oral sex. Routine by uh, using a pineapple. Wow! I mean, I have to now check out Girls Trip. Okay. <laughs> and then we had, then we had, uh, then we had the cupcakes and Tony Erdman, whenever that was. A year yeah. Ago. Oh yes. I think that I think that yeah. was kind of an inspiration for some people. I think, but uh, yeah. And then of course, we're the food the pop- active- activists. You know, you have the FBCA. <laughs> we're the food activists for the Humane Society. Yes. And the pie that was fucked in the, in the American Pie. That was <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, so I I don't know. Best actor? I I guess I'm gonna go with Gary Oldman. I think I will too. I think I'm gonna go with that too. I mean, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels it doesn't feel exciting. Okay, no. actor. And plus, I, I get so agitated hearing him talk. He is the, he stammers worse than anyone I've ever heard. Really? Uh, he is the stammeriest actor. Jeez. <laughs> huh. That's interesting. Um, kind of a surprise. Yeah, he listen to an interview of his again and pay attention to it because and he'll re, he'll say things like three times. I think uh I think uh I think uh you know just say you think <laughs> and move on yeah. with your sentence. Yeah. Uh, best performance by an actress in a supporting role: Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, Hong Chow for Downsizing, which she's gotten a lot of praise. That's the one element of that movie that uh, feels like a great discovery for a lot of people. Uh, Allison Janney for I Tanya, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. Laurie Metcalf, right down the line. I think so. Uh, I'd have to agree with that. I am uh, excited to see Downsizing for Hong Chao. You know, I love those uh, 
I love it in a movie, you know, you know that feeling like when you're watching a movie that's not so impressive, but then somebody shows up in the movie mm-hmm. and it really makes you perk up and you don't know why, but you can easily chalk it down to the power of their performance, you know, you're just like, oh, shit, this is a good performance, I'm sitting forward finally, and uh, and that's what I'm going to expect from Hong Chow in that film, because... Uh, it just seems like it's that type of performance, you know. It's like uh, appearing in a movie that's that's not uh, that's not winning people over entirely. So, but it's Laurie Metcalf here. Yeah, and if you remember, I mean, it's a good movie with Sideways. Yeah. Everybody was talking about talking about how Sandra O oh was a major discovery from Sideways. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy: Judy Dench, Victoria, and Abdul. Uh, Helen Mirren, The Leisure Seeker. Man, I've been getting a lot mm-hmm. of emails about that movie. She and Donald Sutherland. Mm. That movie. Uh, yeah, Margot I Robbie was... for I. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Margot well, Robbie I for just... I Tanya. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so hard to navigate uh without seeing each other. Sorry guys. But uh uh yeah, the, the heart, I was I was just surprised that Helen Mirren was and you know, the leisure seeker popped up. It's it was uh, a movie I didn't even know was coming out this year, so that was that was all a big surprise to me. Yeah. Are you done? Yes, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, okay, there Sorry. You <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Uh, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan for uh, Lady Bird, and uh, Emma Stone for Battle of the Sexes. It's got to be Saoirse. Yeah. Yeah. But this is yep. the Globes. But I think yeah, it'll still I, be I think so. Okay. Uh, the, by the way, by... can I... Can I, before you move on, can I say Victoria and Abdul is a musical or comedy? Is you know another strange, yeah. <laughs> strange inclusion in that comedy. Is true. Yeah, yeah. I don't find it. I don't find it to be a comedy. Um, but they do sing a lot of songs in it. So I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, there's that. There's a whole ebony and ivory number that they do together. That um, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, no, don't send me letters. Don't send me emails, guys, out there. Um, best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama, Jessica Chastain for Molly's Game, Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, Meryl Streep for The Post, Michelle Williams for All the Money in the World. I think this love for All the Money in the World is exclusive to the Globes. I don't think it will carry over, personally. I can't only tell if he's seen the movie, so, but who knows? But, uh. So you're saying that the Oscar voters watch these movies? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think they're, I think they're watched in some ways, but it, sometimes. I, most I wouldn't rule out Michelle Williams just for some, I, there's something, I think she's due, I, but I mean, I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, not for this so much, but I, I just wouldn't rule her out, because she, she has a large, like following, so just a just a thought. But who do we who are we thinking here? 
for me, I think it's between McDormand and Streep. Uh, Streep, for the same reasons that we said about the post earlier, that they'll love seeing the seeing the uh, seeing the speech and everything. And uh, right. And um, uh, yeah, she's got like ten Golden Globes already. But you know, so what's what's an eleventh? Who cares? <laughs> so, but. I, I'm I'm still gonna pull for Francis McDormand. I'd go with that, definitely. Yeah, I do think it's Francis McDormand to lose. Um, best director, motion picture, Guillermo. De- God, why do I always have? Pro- I know how to pronounce it. Guillermo del Toro, The Shape of Water, Martin McDonough, Three Billboards, Christopher Nolan for Overkill. Oh no, Dunkirk. <laughs> uh, Ridley Scott for All the Money in the World and Steven Spielberg for The Post. Hmm. Yeah, this is yeah. yeah. This Man. is hard. This is difficult. This one's difficult. Uh, you know, it is the Globe, so who knows? They they might give it to Ridley Scott. They might. It could be. True. You know, uh, I do. I don't feel overly confident about any of the other four, really. Uh, but it just feels like, you know, I, you know, they always pull out some kind of surprise. You know, like, what? <laughs> can't believe that. They gave it to them. So, so I'm going to go with Ridley Scott, just to no guts, no glory kind of thing. Just You know what? If... If the Post wins Best Picture there, then they'll give it to Spielberg. If Spielberg wins Best Director, then you know that the Post will probably win Best Picture at the Globes. Yes. Hmm. Um, outside of that, I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm tempted to agree with you, Dean. I think I think they could, as a ge- as a gesture for what he did, mm-hmm. going above and beyond the Call of Duty. I think they might give it to Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's the story of the year in terms of a director. Yeah, you know. Uh, so uh, yeah, and I think McDonough McDonough's seen mostly as a writer. I think mm-hmm, people yeah. look upon him more as a writer than a director. Mm. <clears throat> you know whether that's valid or not. I mean, obviously it's not valid because he directed the damn thing, but uh, <laughs> and did it very well. I think for the most yeah. part, yeah. Yeah. I would have done I would have done the uh firebombing thing quite differently if I were him, but <laughs> I think it's between Ridley Scott and Del Toro actually. Mm. Yeah, I just don't see I just don't see Del Toro coming out of this this uh award season with uh, very much you know. Uh you don't see think... him coming out of it alive? <laughs> He will not survive the war I just don't think you know, I just don't think I wouldn't be surprised if 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 the movie doesn't do well when the Oscars come around, but that's me. Best motion picture, musical or comedy. The disaster artist, get out, greatest showman, I Tanya and Ladybird. Yeah, this is what's unique about the Globes. Uh the Lady Bird is in a separate category from drama. 
Yes. Uh, it's, it's the best movie of the five. It uh, is. So I would think mm-hmm. it would win. I think it's, its major competition is Get Out. I mean, you know, in the Globes. Yes, I, I agree. It's really between those two. Uh, um, I'm I'm going to go with Lady Bird, uh, but I will not be surprised if Get Out wins. Uh, and I do think we're going to go into the Oscar season. I mean, into into the nominations for the Oscars, and we're going to see a race between Lady Bird and Get Out and um, one other, uh, maybe three three billboards. But uh, I really think it's gonna it's gonna come down to uh, you know the the what's gonna win out is it gonna be is it gonna be is this gonna really be the year of the woman? Uh, uh, which I think you know it really should be. There has not been a major there has not been a best picture winner with a woman in the lead uh, for a very very long time. And uh, it's about time uh, to uh, rectify that. And uh, but it could be a another year where they're trying to apologize for Oscar so white, and uh, mm-hmm. they they might want to get uh, get out in there. Um, so uh, so we'll see we'll see what the, what the things bring. But right now, I feel like Lady Bird's going to win it. Okay, I, I don't have a I don't have a problem. I don't I don't disagree with that. Because so. not too not too long ago, you said that Dunkirk was the front runner. I I thought it was. That was of course before I'd seen anything <coughs> anything in the Christmas season. Uh, so, so do you uh, think that the the chances of that are minuscule? Oh, yeah, I do. Yes, I think Dunkirk will win win some technical awards, but that's it. And it might come. So it, it might get. It, it might be in a race for best director, maybe somehow. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't think it'll win best picture. So Dun- Dunkirk is done for. You heard it yeah. here. <laughs> there's not a there's picture drama there for it. Yeah, there's not. There's not. There's, there's not a lot of. Uh, there's not a lot of fan support. Yeah. That's motion picture drama, call me by your name. But, however, it is the most financially, it is the hit out of all of them. Yeah, it and it and Get Out are the two biggest hits. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, best motion picture drama, call me by your name, Dunkirk, The Post, The Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Uh well okay so the post gets six nominations three billboards get six nominations uh right. so it's really between those two I think um and if that's the case then I think the post will win I think so too which if that's the mm. case yeah uh, I think Spielberg might be the winner but uh, for director yeah. of it. It, yeah. it could be the post, man, for the Globes. Yeah, it could be. I think so. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
boy, I'm so unexcited about because when you finally see the post, you will see that my my review of it was fair, uh, and uh, uh, it's it's not it's not overwhelmingly great, but. You know that have you know not overwhelmingly great movies win Golden Globes all the time. So, right, true. So, do we want to do TV or do we want to no like a real quick TV thing? Well, I th- you know just, uh, just just for just for TV, I think it's going to be uh, you know Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I don't know what's going to win the comedy, Big Little Lies. Uh, I think uh, Elizabeth Moss for Handmaid's Tale, uh, and uh, I think Pamela Adlon will win for Better Things. But they also love to like note like uh, newcomers, so maybe that R- yeah. Rachel Brosnahan will win for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, mm-hmm. which is sort of like the it's sort of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel strikes me as like something like the story, the the Joan Rivers story, or something like that, or or maybe maybe the Phyllis Diller story might be more <laughs> more uh, apt. Um, and uh, I think Jessica Lange will win for playing Joan Crawford, uh, and Anne Dowd will win for Handmaid's Tale, uh, Sterling Brown for This Is Us. Um, you know, so love to see Aziz Ansari win something for Master of None, but I doubt right. it will happen. And uh, they'll probably give Best Actor to Robert De Niro for Wizard of Lies. And, uh, you know, so, you know, it's pretty, fairly simple. And this year's Globe Lifetime Achievement thing is going Oprah Winfrey. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't understand that. Five. I really don't. Is, is there is there five mo- movies that she's done? <laughs> <laughs> is there more more movie stuff that I don't know that she's done somehow? Right. I mean, is she is she? I mean, I know they're trying to level the playing field and everything, but come on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, she's I Oprah. Just, I don't get it. She's not a movie. They give her a reward that they make. I guess they're not just movies and TV. I mean, they're they're television too. So, you know, usually, usually the Cecil B. DeMille Award is referencing movies, in my opinion. But I guess they could be referencing television as well. And if that's the case, then I understand it completely. I mean, obviously, obviously she's a giant in the television industry. So uh, uh, yeah, so I guess I'm okay with it. Good point. All right, I want to close on this. The weirdest casting news, I don't know, ever. <laughs> uh, David Gordon Green is making a movie about the the news coverage of the JFK assassination, particularly as it relates to Walter Cronkite's coverage. Which is really, I mean, any JFK assassination thing, that's the go-to clip, is Cronkite's announcement of uh, JFK's death. Um, he's cast Seth Rogen as Walter Cronkite. And I would what? assume this is a drama. Yeah. Seth Rogen is Cronkite? <laughs> what? Wait a second. 
if Walter Cronkite didn't get stoned, I mean, <laughs> wait a second. I mean, Seth I Rogen. Did. I can't even see that. He doesn't have the same shape face. He doesn't have. I mean, look, this is exactly what I'm talking about all the time, and I know I know you guys don't think it's important uh, sometimes, but this is freaking Walter Cronkite. Get a guy that looks like Walter Cronkite. Hell, or, yeah, what is it? SCTV. Who did the uh, Walter Cronkite impersonation on SCTV? Um, remember um, the, the thing they made, Walter yeah. Cronkite's brain? Oh, they gotta yeah. They got that guy. They gotta get that guy. It wasn't <laughs> Dave Thomas or he... it was either Dave Thomas or or or, uh, uh, or Moranis, one of the two. No, they gotta but, get, those, uh, get those guys. I mean, uh, but uh, I, oh, I don't get that at all. <laughs> That's not gonna work. Hey, if it, speaking of that, where is the movie Zeroville? That James Franco directed about um, Hollywood in the seventies, late sixties, early seventies, based on uh, Steve Erickson's book, where Seth Rogen basically plays John Milius. Whatever happened to that movie? What happens to all of James Franco's movies? Yeah. This is the first one of his movies that's ever landed in any kind of the- in any in anything but just two theaters or whatever. You right, know? True, it's like true, so. True. I don't know what happened. Yeah, how, to how, how many pe- how many people got to see the movie he did about the deleted scenes from Cruising? <laughs> did, did he didn't do a In, movie. About, did he do a movie? Like, yeah, about he did. That? It's called wow. it's called Interior. It's called Interior Leather Bar because he had oh, always right. heard these rumors that yeah that they were scenes that were cut on the cutting room floor from Cruising because they were too graphic, and so he said, "Oh, I'll make a movie about that." <laughs> and, and then after, after he premiered the movie at Sundance, Freakin was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything. I included everything in the final cut of the movie. There's nothing on the cutting room floor. One thing you can say about Franco, man, he puts his money where his mouth is. He pours, I think he pours everything he makes into movies and TV on into making his own movies. And I have to give him credit for all of that. He's very, he's uh, indefatigable. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems to me. I mean, uh, you know, he he could come out with two that's or three a movies word. a year. <laughs> Thank you. Every 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 time that, that's a lot of a lot of syllables in that word. Every time I start to say that word, I get too tired to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do you guys think about this? Uh-oh. Uh oh. Uh, uh, is it the Safety Brothers? Uh, ben and Josh Safety. Oh yeah, yeah. Have, have been have been um, uh, contracted by the studios to do a remake of Walter Hill's Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, so, I don't know what to make. I thought it was like a, a weird April Fool's Day joke, but then I realized it was December. So I mean. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know so, what to say. I just don't know what to say. They're about they're about to be eaten up by the studios, like like a lot of uh, indie filmmakers are. Uh, now you know you got Ryan Johnson, who will probably never go back to <laughs> to uh, making uh, indie movie ever. Uh, he'll be no, if he's going to do a new trilogy, obviously that new you know the trilogy that has nothing to do with. Any of the traditional characters, yeah, I don't know if he'll ever go back. You're absolutely right. I, yeah, I think that era is over. It, 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 you know what? It's interesting though. Seeing the fan reaction to his Last Jedi, I wonder if Disney's going to capitulate and uh, 
take Ryan Johnson off that. That'll be, that'll be an interesting I, thing. Yeah. Given there's something unique about Star Wars and how much power the fans have, uh, it is interesting. Um, even Lucas capitulated to the fans of the Attack of the Clones after the Phantom Menace, and that may be the worst fan film ever made, is directed by the director of the creator of the whole thing. Um, it is amazing just how much power the fans, the really hard fans have, but audiences, they do like the movie a lot. So I just read an article, like the, the, the fan, I mean, yes, the, the hardcore fans don't like it, but the, the regular moviegoers push this movie over the top. I mean... Well, so, I mean, they went. They they paid to go see it, so you know, you pay to go. They had the money already, so yeah. it's the 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 paying to go see it is no sign that people are people are excited about it. Uh, but you know, as you report from the from the, you know, I, I just wonder about like fa- people's reactions in movie theaters when they're like cheering and everything like that, like. Does that fade away when they get out of the movie theater? And they, 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 it must, you know, come come to they must come to some other conclusions other than wow, it was great. They have to start thinking about it and everything. Right. And, yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, I think a lot of the reaction to such movies, particularly Star Wars movies. It's just you're just glad to be in a room with a bunch of freaks like you are. Oh, yay! We're all here together. Yay! Yeah, what I mean, I, I'm not a though? I'm not a Star Wars no, fan. No, but I had a good time watching it with them. Yeah, we had a good time. But let me ask you guys this: so that's I was thinking that too, Jamie. Given the fan reaction, are they gonna? Is that is that trilogy maybe maybe not gonna happen now? I mean. Um, well, certainly, I was that. certainly Disney Disney has no compunction about chewing up and spitting yeah. out these directors. So I mean, uh, you know, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> no, they like, don't. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Look, Colin Trevenel thought he had a CM, thought he had a, a sweet deal, and then boom, uh, no more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now he now now he's back to doing indie movies. <laughs> Safety, safety not guaranteed, part two. Um, <laughs> All right, everybody out there, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Oh, yes. Let's, uh, you know, wish wish our fans uh, um, Merry Christmas. And uh, if I guess this is our last show of the year, we'll be taking a two-week break uh, and come back, like, in, in January with uh, more stuff. I guess our... Our top ten show will happen sometime in in the middle of January, and mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. So have a, have a great Christmas, everybody. Uh, Chris and uh, Graham and Jason Mitchell and uh, and uh, Stephen Rigg, Jason Furlong, uh, Elizabeth Gray, uh, Dallas Norville. I'm just gonna let you go on. <laughs> Dallas Norville. <laughs> if, if you're actually gonna list Sean all of our listeners, uh, <laughs> you're really getting everyone after Sean and the um, whole gang. And Cindy. Look, look at, look at him. If you remember uh, the Magic Mirror and Romper Room, you know I see yeah, Cindy and. Willie and uh, yeah, so anyway, we, we wish <laughs> and everybody a three-legged dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yes. Well, we wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Yeah. And- yes, thank you, everyone. Have a great Christmas and a great New Year. And we'll see you in 2018. Thank you.